Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. I'm joined today by someone with a very cool name, first of all. Uh, Nap Nasworth is joining me today. I knew about Nap actually before I met him. Um, I met him through his wife, who is a client of Root and River, um, but I knew who he was, and I'll cue him up to tell you about that in a little bit. Um, so Nap is the executive director of the American Values Coalition. Um, holds a PhD from the University of Florida in political science, and um, we're going to have a great conversation today about moderation in uh, political moderation. So welcome, Nap. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So the story um, that I first heard about you before I met you, before I even knew Angela, actually, uh, can you share a little bit about what happened that kind of put you on the, the front page of the uh, political regs? My 15 minutes of fame, is that what you're referring to? <laughs> I think it was longer than that. <laughs> yeah, it was probably maybe 48 hours. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so uh, this would have been December of 2019. Uh, I was working at the Christian Post, and uh, it was my last day before a two-week vacation that had been planned. Uh, the week before that, Christianity, to, Christianity Today a uh, competitive uh, publication posted an editorial, uh, an anti-Trump editorial, uh, basically arguing that evangelicals should no longer uh, support him and uh, he should no longer be president. Uh, this was right before, this was in the middle of <laughs> the second impeachment. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I got a call from our, uh, from a, my boss, the senior uh, senior editor, who said we were going to publish an uh, an alternative editorial uh, and uh, given a different point point of view, and I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll just I'll put just send it to me and I'll publish it. I was uh, the only editor working that day, and then they sent it to me. And said, oh, this is going to be um, a. a, a the viewpoint of the editors, the meaning of the viewpoint of the Christian Post is how we're going to publish this. And uh, so I, I pushed back against that. I said, you know, we shouldn't um, publish it. It's okay to publish alternative viewpoints, but we, you know, we, uh, we, we should not be an organization that, uh, you know, backs Donald Trump, basically. And I said, if you do this, if we go down this route, uh, we, we will be positioning ourselves on Team Trump. And then, and the response I got was, yes, I know that's what we're, we're doing. And I said, well, if, if we're going to be a Trump supporting publication, I can't work here anymore, basically. And so, uh, I just uh, quit on the spot and then, uh, it became a big news story for about, you know, the next 48 hours, <laughs> basically almost every major publication in the country had mentioned me at some point. Um, so yeah. that was it. And then you started, is the American Values Coalition a new organization that you've found, found or is that something, have they been around a while? I'm not familiar with them before knowing you got the executive director position. I'd not heard of them. Yeah, we're, we're brand new, just went public in October. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And so I'm the founding executive director. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so the, and the American Values Coalition, we're, our focus is on um, helping people mostly on the right, center right, uh, who are concerned about the misinformation and disinformation that is in the radicalization that's happening in their communities, 
uh, on the right these days. Mm, great. Well, that sets perfect context to the kind of the topic today, like I said, is around political moderation. And I think for context, you know this from maybe our coffee visit that we had um, a while back, but I grew up a Republican. Um, I was uh, very involved in politics. Um, I became an independent in 2006 because I saw the influence of the religious right um, on uh, the, on the GOP and learned later that that was a you know a strategic thing that started back in the late 1960s. And um, a lot of people think that I'm like some progressive now, and you know I suppose socially I certainly am because I I think you know, I don't, I don't think uh, respecting human dignity is a political position, uh, but definitely still more of a libertarian, but still consider myself a conservative when it comes to the use of government and things like that. And I often refer to myself as homeless as far as a political party or political, you know, and I'm not, I don't care if there's a party, I still probably wouldn't join it. But, you know, there's so few people that I feel like I align with that are in elected office. You know, Adam Kinziger is probably the closest uh, to me, uh, Justin Amash, who's no longer in Congress, he was kind of the example of that. So the first question, Nap, I wanted to kick around um, with you is, so the way I describe it is that moderates are the high moderates or people that are center, center right, center left are the, by far the largest voting populace, but they're the least represented in the at the state level all the way up to the federal level. And I'm curious, from your perspective as a, as a political expert, someone that's in this every day, why do you think that is? Why are we moderates or, or center, center right, center left people so underrepresented out there? Well, I think there's sort of a pre-question that kind of comes before that question, and that is, what is a moderate? Because I think that the definition has changed since and because of Donald Trump. Um, so it it used to be we would think about moderate as you know between the two ideological poles right um so you have a conservative position on one side a liberal position on the other side and a moderate is just someone sort of in the middle mm -hmm. right and so i used to think of moderates as being kind of squishy people kind of you know there's no like what do you actually believe if you're just gonna like take a bit you know they, yeah. there's like no sort of uh center to their uh, ideology. Uh, so I, I would, th there was a time in my life I would not have considered myself a moderate, right? Mm -hmm. Same. Uh, but today I definitely consider myself a moderate because I think that's because sort of what, what it means to be a moderate these days has changed. Mm -hmm. And so now what we've seen is, uh, in response to the Republican party and the democratic party, uh, becoming more extreme in their views, uh, that uh, moderate sees the, there's a moderate coalition forming in the center uh, that is more people who are simply pro democracy, pro liberalism, classical liberalism, uh, pro pluralism, mm -hmm. uh, people who just want to have um, go back to having uh, a uh, discourse where we aren't uh, where we support each other's speech where we support the idea that we all come from different viewpoints different backgrounds different ways that different experiences in our life that influence the way that we see the world and influence our politics and we want a politics uh, 
a, um, a government, a political life where everyone is just has the freedom to come and express their views and find out, you know, where do we agree? Where can we come together and find a majority and, and work on these problems together and, and find common, uh, a common ground solutions. Right. So that, that's basically to me, what, what a moderate means these days and why I now consider myself a moderate. Mm -hmm. So you think of then about why, again, the representation, I, I you know, that, that's, it seems very low. Um, do you have a sense of, of why there aren't more moderates being elected to office? Or maybe they are, and we just don't see them because of the, the, the headline. I don't, I don't know. I mean, live it, we both live in Texas and I don't, I, you know, I think the McNeil, McCauley, our state, our, our congressman, uh, I can't remember his last name. It's embarrassing. But anyway, he should be more memorable. Um, you know, he's sort of-ish moderate sometimes, you know, but it seems to be like there's a lot more. I mean, Joe Biden's probably the most centrist president we've elected in a, maybe in a long time, at least in the last hundred years, maybe since Eisenhower. Um, but the, so the, the Democratic Party seems to have a little bit more room for moderates to exist. The GOP doesn't anymore. So the, all these people are leaving and pulling away and they're being condemned like Liz Cheney and all of that. So who, who, who do you think, when you talk about this, I like the way, the way you said it, this, this coalition of moderates coming together, how old do you think, how do you think that will be uh, turned into representation? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to see how it's how it's sustainable for the Republican Party and the, and the Democratic Party to continue along this path, where they they are representing a more narrow and narrow segment of society, uh, where they have uh, become more much more uh, extreme as far as the the center of each of the parties. I think the difference between the two right now is that. Uh, on, on, on the Republican side, the extremists are basically in control. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the, uh, on the democratic side, you know, you had to fight in the primary and the moderate won, like you pointed out. So, uh, so that, that's sort of the difference of, of, of where, where they are right now. But that, I think both parties have, have, are, have continued to represent a more narrow segment of society. I, I just don't see how that's sustainable in the long term. Yeah. something's got to change either one of the two major political parties changes in a big way and is uh decides that they do want to represent a broader coalition mm -hmm. right and or I, you know i i don't know they you know there, there's talk of you know a potential third party or um independent candidacies you know uh it, it's it's hard to see right now because, uh, the, you know, the two major political parties, uh, you know, we do have a two party political system, right? So we're always going to have two parties. The question is whether, you know, uh, one there, a third party can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, become the, the second party and one party die out or something like that. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, th yeah. there's all sorts of concerns, you know, when you start talking about third parties as well, because, um, you don't want to, for, for somebody who's opposes Trump, like I do, that's like the worst thing that could happen right now is for him to win the presidency again. Yes. So you don't want to set up a situation where an independent will grab so many votes from the left that, 
uh, it enables Trump to become president again. Yeah, I, my, my take on this nap is that the whole system, the whole binary system, we get real, you know, meta here, uh, the binary system of institutions of, uh, you know, that basically the society has been formed over the last 1500 years by church and state, then education and then government, I mean, uh, 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 corporations. And I think the, uh, the two party system is indicative of that. And what I think is going to happen, and I don't think it'll happen soon, but I think we are outgrowing and you see this with the i think it's 80 percent of millennials are registered independent some huge number like that is i think that the representation of moderates is actually going to happen not within the political halls i think it's happening with somebody like mark cuban who we consider a moderate who is very you know who's political in his voice or matthew mcconaughey who is a voice of moderation in a lot of ways and um i think that what will happen is, is that you'll start to see pockets of independents um, choosing candidates that may be registered Democrats or registered Republicans, but they are representative of a more moderate, uh, more non-dualistic view in the in the world. And that's my hope. I mean, I'm somewhat hopeful that that this is the end of the two-party system as we know it. I mean, hell. Uh, Washington, George Washington warned about this in his farewell address. So it's not like this is like just come sneaking up on us. It's been warned of, it was warned by Eisenhower as well. So for, for this conversation, thinking more about the GOP, I'm curious if you think that the GOP will ever recover from MAGA, from being MAGAized. Do you think it, what do you see happening and do you think it can recover? Well, uh, all right, before I answer that, could I take a moment to dash your hopes about uh... a... <laughs> Sure. The end of a party system. Yeah. Political parties are essential for democracy mm-hmm. because what political parties do is, is and I, I mean, it's hard to imagine it because of what we've been talking about and what's going on these days, but really in a properly functioning two-party system, the political parties are, the, are a moderating force mm-hmm. because they, they are the ones where that build the coalition that will then become a governing coalition. Uh, and so it's, it's within those parties themselves that all the debates and discussion takes place about how do you get to 50% plus one mm-hmm. in order to build that governing coalition. You know, the, the difference between a two-party system like we have and a multi-party system like uh, in some other democracies around the world mm-hmm. is that the coalition takes place the coalition building takes place before the election. We have two parties, both of which are coalitions of different groups, right? Versus in a multi-party system where you have all these different groups represented by a party and all those parties come together that would then build a coalition after the election. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if, if, you're, if we're going to have a functioning democracy, we're going to have political parties. Right. There's just no getting rid of uh, getting around that. Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I guess what I mean is not these two political parties. Like if I, I totally get where you're coming from and I defend frequently, especially, you know, during um, during the, the height of the pandemic where you saw a lot of draconian use of government to get to, you know, for whatever their intentions were. And that's, it's you know, I'm not being critical necessarily of what Australia did or the UK or Vietnam or whatever, but there's something about a, it, uh, that within the two-party system of a representative republic, not a parliamentary system, 
It's the parliamentary systems that tend to have the multi-party situation and it. It creates a sort of diluted, diluted and diluted view of representing the people. Um, it's just these two parties are the ones that I'm like, I, I, I you know, I, I, I want them to go away. So, so my question about, you know, the is MAGA the end of the GOP kind of falls into that, which is, do you think that this will kill the party? Um, I mean, you look at the data related to millennials and, and, and Gen Zers and people of color and women, it's just like, who's a Republican now, except in, in that sense, except for like, you know, older white people. So what, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they can recover? That's the question. Yeah. I'm, um, so MAGA is going to be with us for a long time. I think this is sort of a generational long problem Yeah, uh, that has happened. Uh, it's not, you know, we can't expect it to go away. Uh, even if Trump decides not to run or if Trump isn't around in 2024, we, we can't expect it just to go away that quick. It's, it's a very much a deep seated problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, um, you know, could, could that lead to the death of this once great political party, the Republican party born out of anti-slavery, you know, um, you know, it's, it's possible for sure. I mean, but the other thing to look at is, you know, for that to happen, you, you there needs to be an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that alternative party to replace the Republican Party, there, there's going to have to be institution building, uh, you know, um, so, so a lot of efforts behind that in order to get that off the ground. It would probably need to start with uh, candidates winning at the uh, at the local level and then Congress, you know, in the house and things like that before, uh, you're able to build that. So, um, I, I'm not those who, there, there are some who thinks it's pretty much impossible these days, but I'm, I, I don't think it's impossible. I think it could definitely happen that, uh, that MAGA leads to the death of the Republican party. Yeah. But the, the other alternative is, you know, reform. This was actually a big debate when I was at the principal's first conference a couple of weeks ago. Right. Uh, one, the, what, the, the most lively panel at this conference was, should we stay or should we go? That was the name of the panel, which is, do you stay in the Republican party and reform it? Or is it time to just take take off and let it die on the vine kind of, uh, and hope it dies. Um, so yeah, it, it's a big question out there. I, I don't know if I have the answer. I'm more of a wait and see. Uh, I, I, I want to support everyone. I want to support the reformers. If you want to leave and do a third party against the MAGA Republican, I will support that. You know, so I'm just like, do it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying that about the, you know, stay, stay or go. Um, you know, I left, uh, but that was a long time ago um, for, you know, because I, I guess I saw the handwriting on the wall, as it were. And um, I do believe uh, that Biden got the most votes of a uh, from Republicans of any Democratic Democrat president elected. And mm. so what I'm seeing now is more of the coalition is moving into the active voting coalition is not so much about candidates where they're running. It's about who they're supporting. And what I'm curious about will be like I, what I think will accelerate the end of the GOP is if Biden decides not to run again and if it's Trump or whomever, I, I mean, I literally pray that he doesn't get elected again. But 
um, if it's somebody, let's say it's like Buttigieg, not that necessarily Buttigieg is qualified, but he's a centrist in many, many ways. And, and um, that if there are a series of candidates at the first in pres you know, presidential elections and then state and governorships that are more, even if they're Democrats, they're more moderate in a lot of their positions and they can attract uh, disen you know, disenfranchised or homeless Republicans or conservatives, that almost becomes the counterweight that you're talking about, is that the counterweight of a Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg or um, the, um, I can't name other Democrats right now, but there are other more moderate Democrats. They're kind of the counterweight to the uh, AOCs of the world um, who are not necessarily dangerous. They're just wrong. You know, the thing about conservatives now is if they're not only wrong, they're dangerous. They're literally dangerous in many ways. Um, and so I think that's probably going to be the near term, like what's going to happen over, let's say over the next decade. But I, um, I'm sort of like horrified and fascinated by it all at the same time, you know, um, especially watching MAGA, and this kind of leads into my last question here, watching MAGA take over, not just the evangelical community. I'm not all that surprised, frankly. Um, he has many traits that evangelicals admire. Um, especially white evangelicals, um, but taking over the more fundamentalist groups and more fundamentalist churches. And um, so it's, that's, that's, that's horrifying to me to watch that happen um, where, you know, this golden calf has emerged that's become, you know, it's idolized uh, within the church ranks um, out there. And so the question, the last question here is, 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 um, let's just use this term, rational faith-based people. Um, I would consider myself that. I think you're that. Um, I know a number of people that would identify as Christian, but they're not ever going to vote for Trump um, or anybody from the MAGA wing of the, of, of the world. And I'm curious, again, similar to my question before about representation, how, does a, um, how do you think a, or what can a, um, a rational faith-based person how can they participate in the political process? How can they feel represented? How can they uh, vote in their best interests related to their faith? Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, if I can explain that, it's not just about voting. It's, um, you know, it's how you engage in, in politics, you know, in, in all areas of your life, right? And it's, it's really hard these days because so much of, uh, of how we interact politically is online and so much of what we do online is um you know the incentives are all wrong right it, uh, it it's extremism that gets put to the top of the of our feeds right it's not moderation right um so i, I think it starts with setting a good example mm -hmm. uh of of doing politics well um you know don't don't get caught up in trying to uh you know trying to get more Twitter followers or like get your, you know, your profile out there, because once you go down that path, you're like, you know, the things that you have to do to get there is just not, uh, you know, you're not setting a good example. Yeah. Um, be, you know, be careful of the news sources you're consuming, right. uh, support good news sources. Uh, I would say, you know, spend more time rather than criticizing the bad sources, spend more time sharing the good ones you know, share the good reporters. There's lots of good reporters out there. Um, so don't, uh, don't get obsessed with like the bad stuff. Uh, 
whether it's journalists or politicians or whatever it is, you know, put forth the good examples and and share those in your, uh, whether it's, you know, in your personal relationships in person or your online relationships, uh, you know, set a good example for everyone else. Yeah, that's really good. It's a really good point. Um, yeah, my take on that is if you identify as a Christian and you're not, you're not a non-MAGA Christian, um, that um, if you, it's, it's going to come down to conversations that you're having. And most of us that have that would be considered, you know, we consider ourselves Christian or faith-based. And we have a lot of family and friends that are, you know, they're, they're in this, it feels like they're in a cult um, in a lot of ways. And when I talk to MAGA Christians, I, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go like, you know, Peter and cut their ear off, uh, you know, that in the sense of just, a, it makes me aggressive, but I try to have an open heart in the sense that they arrived at that conclusion. I want to be respectful of their humanity. And what I encourage people to do is it's not about the church. It's not about the Bible. It's not, those aren't voting guides. Those are terrible voting guides, actually, in many ways. Um, they're not really designed to be voting guides, but you can, if some, if, if you want to question someone's intention and the way that they arrived at their beliefs, just talk about Jesus. You know, I mean, that's pretty simple to do in the sense that there's a set of behaviors related to kindness and inclusivity and um, compassion and caring for your neighbor and all of that, that are sort of basic principles. And when I have had those conversations with, you know, close friends and close family members, where it's about, you know, essentially how Jesus would have voted. I don't put it that way because I don't know how he would have voted, but um, it, or, or ha but I do know that that drives a lot of like what my, how I want to have discourse with somebody, um, not dissent, not, not conflict, but discourse, like a good back and forth is like, well, at least we, if we can agree that Jesus is the model for like how to be a human on this planet, then all we have to do is begin to compare that. And I think where that starts to go up to the, with the window with a lot of uh, conservatives is things related to like pro-life or in, in LGBTQ rights and things like that, where they just are so immersed in what they've been told the Bible says that they don't pause and look at that from an actual faith-based, like what's really going on inside of them. Um, so I, I, those are the conversations I'm, I want to encourage. And I'll get to do a lot of those in Austin, but um you know, out talking to family and friends that live, or they're rural Americans in particular, that, that's, I try to make that a fairly common conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we talk about that a lot at American Values Coalition is that empathy and curiosity can go a long way into breaking down the, breaking down those barriers. Right. Um, you know, a lot of uh, conservatives, MAGA type conservatives, right, people who consume a lot of right wing media sources, Mm -hmm. they really are living in an alternate reality in a lot of ways now because of the information they're getting online. Um, and, and some of it, even, even in, you know, I use MAGA, but some of it is, isn't even about Trump because Trump is, you know, he's uh, supported that the vaccines. Right. And, but a lot of people who consume these right wing media sources now be believe a lot of misinformation regarding vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, frustration, I think people feel when they try to have a conversation with somebody who believes mm -hmm. this misinformation about vaccines. And, and so what we say at American Values Coalition is, you know, it's going to take time and patience, empathy, curiosity, 
love, mm-hmm. you know, in that relationship to really kind of break through. Because when someone believes misinformation, it's really hard to dislodge it from their from their brain. Yes, totally. And uh, you know, ideology to me is the lowest form of consciousness. Um, I think that if we can have higher conscious conversations with people about, you know, what their mission in life is, what their purpose is, what they believe, um, that's what that's how you get people out of a cult. You have you bring awareness. You don't, you don't bring criticism. That doesn't do any good. It's kind of fun sometimes if you want to debate people. But if you really, it, it, the thing I constantly remind myself, because I can be very combative about this, is if it causes me to close my heart, it's not worth it. And, it, and, it, and so keeping an open heart, to your point about empathy and curiosity, I think what that does too is it keeps resentment from creeping in. And I think of, again, Jesus saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, that type of thing is like, this is the result of what happens when you ignore a large portion of the population or make fun of a large portion of the population, which is primarily rural white America, which is, those are my people, that's where I'm from. Um, I don't condone their behavior or their political views, but I, I, I through curiosity and compassion and empathy, I understand where they're coming from um, sometimes, uh, not, not on certain yeah. things. Like I asked somebody like, what are the freedom truckers protesting? And it was like a, it was like they were playing uh, right-wing Mad Libs, you know, like just a, the, well, Fauci and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the last thought here, too, is I'm curious, is um, like the conservative Republican Party and conservatism in general used to be a home for a lot of intellectuals and, you know, people that were, were deep thinkers. And I'm curious, as kind of an unscripted question here is, do you know of any deep thinking, like well-known conservative thinkers now? Is there anybody left? Uh, you mean in the Republican Party? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, I mean, if, if there are, nothing comes to mind right off right, the top same. of my head, but if they are, they're probably like a reformer. Because like I said, there's this debate, you know, do you stay and try to reform the Republican Party? And, and, and there are some who take that view. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to think about that too, because I, I think about it and nobody comes to mind and maybe there are a few, but um, I know there are reformers within elected office like Adam Kinsinger and Mitt Romney and, um, and Liz Cheney. uh, But those are very rare. So, well, thank you so much for this conversation. It's a topic that I could probably talk about for three hours, but neither of us have that amount of time. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) it was great to uh, great to see you and thank you for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Take care.